Pedestrian and bike safety, a big concern in Bloomington Normal after several fatal crashes. It's that kind of thing of like, are they going to get out of my way? Am I going to get out of theirs? Do I take a step to the left? Do I stay? Then you worry if you take a step to the left, are you then going to collide into them? What's being done about it? That's next on WGLT Sound Ideas. Good afternoon, I'm John Norton. Also on the show, the mayor of Normal says a proposed cannabis retail store came too soon for the town council to decide where it wants these pot shops. We have to have a better understanding as a council on, on what we want and what we think our community wants. Plus, the pandemic pushed an Illinois Wesleyan alum into politics. I was just disappointed and angry at the non-response. Those stories follow a Bloomington Normal News update just ahead. This is WGLT's news magazine, Sound Ideas, on 89.1 FM and WGLT.org. Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. BNA's educational video series, Hear My Story, continues with local patient Jerry Newkirk. In retrospect, absolutely, I wish wish that I would have done it sooner. It's, it's a very necessary sense that you need to take care of. Jerry's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com. From the campus of Illinois State University in Normal, this is WGLT's news magazine, Sound Ideas. I'm John Norton. In the last year, there were four fatal pedestrian vehicle crashes in Bloomington, Normal, 29 pedestrian crashes across McLean County, and 50 collisions involving either a cyclist or a pedestrian in the Twin Cities combined. In the second of WGLT's series on traffic safety in Bloomington Normal, WGLT's Lindsay Jones takes a look at what people are doing to make travel safer in the area for everyone. If you've spent any time being a pedestrian or a cyclist in the Twin Cities, or if you walk on ISU's campus, you've probably seen some near misses, some outright collisions, fallout from a travel culture that's more distracted than ever. And if you've seen this yourself, you're not alone. Sometimes you're walking and you'll hear somebody coming up behind you, maybe on a bike. And, and you know, it, it's that kind of thing of like, are they going to get out of my way? Am I going to get out of theirs? Do I take a step to the left? Do I stay? And then you worry if you take a step to the left, are you then going to collide into them? Now you got people watching their TikToks while they're walking, while they're driving, while they're riding a bike. They're oblivious to everything else going on around them. The realization I think that we're all having is, is that it at least seems like uh, it's getting a little bit more dangerous to be a pedestrian and, and actually to be a cyclist and to, to be a driver in, in these, these areas. High-profile incidents seem to be on the rise. In December of 2021, an ISU student died after being hit by a car while walking in a pedestrian crosswalk near Kingsley Junior High in Normal. In September, an ISU administrator died after being hit by a bicycle near South University Street. And in that same month, a 29-year-old woman died after being hit by a car in downtown Bloomington, and two students were seriously hurt when a car plowed into the Pub 2 building near Uptown Normal. All of those collisions have their own backstory behind why they happened, which is not what this story is about. This story is about what people in Bloomington Normal and at ISU are trying to do to make travel safer for pedestrians, bikers, skateboarders, and of course drivers in the wake of these incidents. It's very urgent. I mean, anytime there's there's a loss of, of life, and then especially when it it's people that you know in your community and have had her everyday contact, it makes it even more important. That's Rick Valentin, a professor with the Wonsuk Kim College of Fine Arts. 
and a member of the subcommittee within ISU's Academic Senate. The Planning and Finance Committee has been compiling a report for ISU administrators on campus pedestrian and vehicle safety. Valentin says the crashes that made headlines and changed people's lives forever were the catalyst that started the Academic Senate Committee's deep dive. But the ultimate goal is less forensic analysis and more long-term solutions. Everybody has their stories, and what we're trying to do in the committee is get beyond that and and not just talk about specific incidents, but start talking about how we can sort of collectively address these problems and then try to head off issues before they happen rather than being reactive. Valentin says as the committee has worked, it's quickly become obvious what one of the main issues is. What's coming up a lot in conversations and then in committee meetings is is the idea of distractions. So distracted drivers, distracted commuters, distracted pedestrians. Technically speaking, distracted driving is something that has a punitive element. Drivers caught using a cell phone could be ticketed by police for a moving violation, meaning it could show up on your record. Fines start at $75 for first-time offenses and rise incrementally from there. And you might think that with so many people commenting on the prevalence of distracted driving, police enforcement against it might be rising, but that's not the case, according to the numbers. Data from the McLean County Circuit Clerk's Office shows in 2018, police all over McLean County issued more than 2,700 such tickets. But last year, in 2022, there were fewer than 900 tickets issued, about a third of the total from four years ago. ISU Police Chief Aaron Woodruff, however, says the problem might be bigger than enforcement. It is enforced. It's just it's so prevalent and it's so ingrained in that it's just a hard thing for to get people to, to, to recognize the risk that they're bringing on. And that's why Academic Senate Subcommittee member Rick Valentin says solving this safety issue may not have straightforward solutions. Instead of changing rules, Valentin says it's a mindset or a culture that might need to be changed. There's a different dynamic that goes on with pedestrians in different parts of the United States. And so that also means that you can make cultural changes and, and people can change their attitudes on how they interact on the roadways and with the roadways. This is not to discount or take the place of other safety measures like signage placement, crosswalk stop and go lights, or bike lanes. In fact, following the death of the 23-year-old student walking in the crosswalk near College in Kingsley, those kind of changes were made. Here's Ryan Otto, the Town of Normal's Director of Public Works and Engineering. Things we made initially, you know, really very quickly was lighting, but now we've uh, added additional features. Uh, We've relocated a bus stop. We have uh, done a lot of sidewalk work to keep students and avoid crossing mid-block outside of the intersection area. In fact, ISU Police Chief Aaron Woodruff says conversations about structural changes that would improve safety near campus are ongoing between the university and Town of Normal staff. If people bring it to my attention, I'm, I'm happy to share it with uh, the town and, and try to find a solution. Ryan Otto with the Town of Normal says pedestrian and bicycle safety have always been part of the Town of Normal's planning goals, but the rest of his industry and other municipalities are starting to catch up. Within the last probably 15 years, we've seen a very a renewed and increased awareness of making sure that our sidewalks and things that we build are accessible, both traffic signals, sidewalks, ADA ramps, making sure that that everyone can use the right-of-way and get around. Of course, Normal and ISU are not the only places where people walk. 
McLean County Regional Planning Commission Executive Director Raymond Lai says the county recently received a federal grant that will improve Veterans Memorial Parkway, an unfriendly stretch of road in Bloomington Normal for people on foot or bicycles who walk it that way nonetheless. I've seen like a mom, you know, holding on to her six, seven-year-old daughter walking along Veterans Parkway where there's no sidewalks or, or uh, and I've seen people pushing uh, their bike across. Data shows intersections all along Veterans Memorial Parkway are some of the most dangerous in the Twin Cities. Lai says the county will work with a consultant on how to make the 10-mile stretch of road safer for pedestrians, cyclists, and people needing to take the bus. That project is expected to take a couple of years. The Main Street Corridor in Normal is a roadway owned by the Illinois Department of Transportation, meaning it's that agency's job to implement changes. Normal Public Works and Engineering Director Ryan Otto says IDOT plans to make safety improvements there in the next five or so years. And back on ISU's campus, student body president Patrick Walsh says student government and others are looking into creating certain dismount zones in which people on bikes or skateboards or anything with wheels would need to walk temporarily to reduce collision risks. The quad is one such area being considered. Walsh says this is a change similar to how the university implemented a smoking ban decades ago. We're saying, hey, we're not going to go forward and do this. It's more everybody coming together saying, you know, this is the adverse health effects that can come about when smoking occurs. So, you know, let's move together in this. Um, That could be similar to how the dismount policy could go forward, where it's more of that cultural shift. Walsh says there may be a punitive aspect. They propose dismount zone fines, maybe, or a referral to the student conduct office. But the details are still being ironed out, and such a policy would not be implemented until this fall. Ultimately, while members of the ISU and Bloomington Normal communities say they are working to increase safety for everyone, they say there's a need for people to buy into these changes, to commit to respecting each other the roadways, and paying attention to what's in front of them. Here's ISU's Rick Valentin again. Those are important factors, but there's also a cultural aspect, whereas it's that everyone needs to be much more vigilant and aware when they're moving through public spaces, whether that's in a vehicle or on foot. The Academic Senate expects to have a report prepared for ISU administrators before the end of this semester. I'm Lindsay Jones. That was the second in WGLT's series on traffic safety in Bloomington Normal. Find both stories online at WGLT.org. Stories and conversations around Bloomington Normal in McLean County. This is WGLT's Sound Ideas. The Normal Town Council last week rejected an application for a recreational marijuana dispensary. It was in the Mandarin Garden Restaurant building in the shops at College Hills. Even though the Planning Commission ruled the application met current guidelines, the vote was not even close. The decision raises a larger issue than just the one application. In this interview with WGLT's Charlie Slanker, Mayor Chris Coos of Normal says the question is where should cannabis dispensaries go? And I think that was another outcome of that, that we have to, as a council, have a have a work session, a discussion on exactly what that looks like. Where do they go? Do we cap the number of dispensaries in the community? I think... A majority of the council felt that it was a very, very public location, you know, and, and my sense is they just weren't ready to to make that step 
Bloomington has a very public location, the Beyond Hello site, right along Veterans Parkway. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with having a public location? Well, I'm not saying that there is, but uh, I, I don't think the council was ready to make a decision to do that. I think that was probably more of it. It's very, very complex in my mind uh, how that vote came out. You know, I don't think, for me personally, uh, a yes vote wasn't a good vote and a no vote wasn't a good good vote. And I'm sorry that we had to do it then. And the applicants are under a state timeline, so they didn't have a choice. They had to move it forward or appeal to have their uh, deadline extended or or lose the, lose the license. So, Charlie, we could have an hour show about the intricacies of all that. So to summarize, I think we have to have a better understanding as a council on, on what we want and what we think our community wants. And uh, we, we didn't do that. Maybe shame on us, but we need to do that. What's your personal assessment about what the community wants or should have uh, from you as a policymaker? Um, from the community, it's I'd say it's a very vocal, divisive issue right now. I hear from as many people that said, shame on you for not giving them the license, as from people who said, thank you for not doing that. In many respects, the state treats marijuana similar to liquor stores and how it regulates that drug, but it's got a lot more poops to jump through on who gets to run them and how the product is dispensed. Should the community have a separate understanding of dispensaries than alcohol sales or not? Well, you know, early on when um, when this start, started to become law, I thought the federal government should look at Illinois' model as a way to regulate nuclear material. I'd use the same protocols that these marijuana dispensaries have for tracking their uh, their nuclear Their product is, I would, a nuclear warhead because it's that complex. And and the security is very tight. You know, I'll compare it to what happened uh, when normal in the 70s went from being a dry community to a wet community. The liquor laws that the council at that time wrote were so restrictive because I think they wanted to make sure that the community didn't take off quickly in a direction that they weren't comfortable with. So they made it very difficult to get a liquor license and very restrictive on what you could do with that liquor license. And over the years, that has relaxed. And I see the same thing happening with cannabis. You as a counselor are going to have to judge the cultural moment about when to relax. If you say so. <laughs> well, is that right or wrong in your opinion? <laughs> I, th I think it's prudent for them, to, for the council to, to think in that direction. You know, a lesson I learned, and I tell people about this from a political sense, that if you're doing something new, uh, don't get too far out in front of your public with it. Give them time to digest what's happening. So, for your present understanding of things, where should dispensaries go and where shouldn't they go? Your yeah. personal understanding. You know, I have to be part of a discussion on that. I, I might have an opinion, but in a group discussion with my counsel, that opinion may, may change. So, I'm not going to say until we've had a public discussion on that. And do you think there should be a cap on the number of dispensaries in town? Mm -hmm. 
if I had the power to write that and sign that into law right now, I'd say no. Not because I'm against a cap. It's like I need to better understand what a cap is or what a cap is not. When would you like to have the council have this discussion? We haven't had a chance to talk about that. I think we should do it sooner than later. That's Chris Coos, the mayor of Normal. He spoke with WGLT's Charlie Schlenker. This is Sound Ideas, WGLT's news magazine. I'm John Norton. Here's a trivia question. Can you name any of the three Illinois Wesleyan graduates who have gone on to become governor? Well, probably not. Only one became governor of Illinois. That was Joseph Pfeiffer, and that was in the 19th century. The others became governors in Wyoming and Idaho in the early to mid-20th century. A more recent Illinois Wesleyan grad is now a lieutenant governor of Wisconsin. Sarah Rodriguez never thought politics was in her future when she walked the Bloomington campus in the 1990s. As she tells WGLT's Eric Stock, Rodriguez got a degree in neuroscience and applied to the Peace Corps after college. Decades later, Rodriguez was caught in one of the most intense political battlegrounds in the country. I did not think I was going to run for office. I have always been somebody who wanted to give back to my community. I, I've worked in healthcare and public health for most of my career. What really pushed me to run for office was the pandemic. So my background is in public health. I'm a nurse. Um, I have a background in epidemiology. I was an epidemic intelligence service officer with the Centers for Disease Control, where I did national and international outbreak investigations. And I was just disappointed and angry at the non-response of the Republican-led legislature here in Wisconsin. They didn't meet for eight months uh, during the pandemic when we really needed them to support our community. And so I chose to run and um, I, I ran and won for assembly in 2020. And I, I represented District 13 within the assembly. I flipped that district from Republican to Democrat. It is a suburb of Milwaukee. That district covers that. And then I really wanted to have a bigger voice in terms of health care, as well as just making things better for the people of Wisconsin. So I chose to run for lieutenant governor and, and won that race as well. And now I am just humbled and excited to be able to take on this role for Wisconsin. And Wisconsin didn't make national headlines at that time because the in-person primary election was held. People were waiting in line for hours outside in the cold. So was that a tipping point for you? It was. It honestly was. Um, I think there was a, one of the pictures that I remember seeing uh, from that time was somebody was holding a sign like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And that's how we all felt in Wisconsin, that they were putting politics over people and people's lives, to be honest. And we know that we've lost a lot of people uh, with COVID and it was just unnecessary and, and it was very, very disappointing. And that was that tipping point for me. And I decided to run for office. You live in Waukesha, not far from Milwaukee, which is not that uh -huh. far from the Illinois border. Had you considered moving to Illinois? in the midst of everything that was going on here, given that their response was quite a bit different? No, you know, I love Wisconsin. I wanted to make this state better. I wanted to have a voice in improving people's lives and 
That's why I decided to stay. I wanted to fight for better policies for Wisconsinites. I wanted to fight for a better environment for my kids. That's what I wanted to do. And that's why I chose to stay and run for office. As we continue on Sound Ideas, I'm Eric Stock with Sarah Rodriguez, an Illinois Wesleyan graduate, recently elected lieutenant governor of Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin government is much different than in Illinois. There is a Democratic governor, but a Republican legislature. It's very much a swing state. How would you describe the politics in Wisconsin? So one of the areas that is different from Illinois is the fact that we have one of the most gerrymandered legislatures in the entire country. And when I say gerrymandered, what that means is that they have drawn, the Republican-led legislature has drawn districts so that they have a built-in advantage. So even though we uh, have a, a Democratic governor and people voted for a Democratic governor, our legislature in the assembly and the senate are almost a super majority and that really shouldn't happen in a purple state and what the problem with that is is that when you uh gerrymander that state when you draw at an advantage for yourself there's very little incentive for people to work across the aisle and to talk to each other and move policy forward. And that's why Governor Evers and I have been fighting to make sure we have fair maps in Wisconsin and that people's voices can be heard. That's what I hear from Wisconsinites and what they want. It's what I hear all across the country. They want us working together for the betterment of our populations. And I think we should listen to them. Well, Illinois does have its gerrymandered maps as well, and there's been talk of fair maps, and the Democratic governor here was a strong advocate for that when he ran, but he later signed maps that uh, some considered among the worst in the country. And to turn this back to Illinois Wesleyan, even though you went to Illinois Wesleyan without any plans or designs on public office, how did your college life prepare you for public life? You know, I I really loved my time there. And what I loved about my time there were the professors. And they really encouraged you to figure out what you wanted to do, to really look at what, A, you're good at, but what do you really enjoy? And pursue different classes and be able to get up in front of a class and speak, um, to be able to hone those skills that are going to be useful after you leave college. And doing that in a slightly smaller environment like Illinois Wesleyan is, that was really helpful for me to be able to hone those public speaking skills, to be able to hone my writing skills, and to be able to figure out what I really wanted to do with my life. And I am just will always be grateful for my education there. That was Illinois Wesleyan alum and Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor Sarah Rodriguez with WGLT's Eric Stock. And that's Sound Ideas today. WGLT's news magazine is made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm John Norton. Story help today came from WGLT's Lindsay Jones, Eric Stock, and Charlie Schlenker. The show was produced by Samantha Hill. This is 89.1 FM, WGLT, and WGLT.org, Bloomington Normal's public media, part of the NPR Network.